Welcome to show 75 of the C-Suite podcast that's being produced in partnership with the UK's Ministry of Justice to coincide with Social Mobility Live, a two-week programme consisting of five events taking place around the UK, marking a year since the launch of the Ministry's inaugural Social Mobility Action Plan, the first social mobility plan of any government department that explores how the department, the civil service and external partners are helping individuals from all backgrounds achieve their potential. And Now, this is in fact the second time that we've recorded an episode on this topic with the Ministry of Justice. The previous one was this time last year, back on show 58 of the series, uh, when they launched their original plan. And so we're thrilled that we've been invited back to cover this important issue again. Uh, My name is Russell Goldsmith and I'm joined in the studio by an expert panel covering the public and private sectors uh, plus civil society. Uh, So going round the table, we have Sean McNally, CBE. Uh, Sean is the Chief Executive of the Legal Aid Agency, but is also the Social Mobility Champion at the Ministry of Justice. Um, Alongside Sean is uh, Jenny Baskerville, co-head of Inclusion, Diversity and Social Equality at KPMG. And finally, we have Nicholas Cheffings, a partner and past chair at the international law firm Hogan Lovells. Uh, But crucially for our purposes, uh, Nicholas is also currently the chair of two charities in this space. Uh, So firstly, Prime, an alliance of law firms across the UK committed to improving access to the legal profession through uh, work experience. Um, And then he is also the chair of Making the Leap, a separate charity that aims to transform the lives of young people by empowering them with the skills, behaviour and attitudes to work their way out of poverty and provide for themselves and their families. And in fact, when we recorded uh, that last podcast together with the Ministry of Justice, one of our guests was Making the Leap's founder and chief executive, Tunde Banjako OBE. So it's great to have them involved again. Welcome to all of you uh, to the show. Sean, it, it probably makes sense to uh, to come to you first uh, perhaps to set the scene firstly uh, for those listeners who may not have heard our previous episode on this topic but also just to get an update you know from you on why this is still such an important issue uh, not just on the ministry's agenda but also for you personally so for um for me russ uh, i believe that uh, as leaders uh, we've got a real responsibility to ensure that the workforce reflects a society uh, that we serve uh, there is a real moral case to ensure that we are truly representative of uh, of society, and we need to ensure that we uh, recruit and uh, develop people based on their potential, not just uh, polish. And there's a real sort of issue around cultural capital. You know, how how do people see that there is a role for them within the uh, civil service? And where it comes from me is a real passion. Uh, I didn't go to uh, university. I grew up on a council estate. I didn't know, to be perfectly honest, on the first day that I turned up at 56 Westgate Road as the county court, what then a career was going to mean for me. But somebody saw something in me that I didn't see. They asked me to uh, raise my head up and to look beyond the horizons that I could see at the time. So my horizon was based on possibly getting to chief executive, or sorry, chief clerk uh, at Newcastle uh, County Court. Right. And somebody just said, look to see what's out there. You've got the potential. Uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you. And I think that we as an employer uh, will achieve better and better outcomes, better decision making, if we have got a truly diverse and inclusive workforce 
that is representative of the society that we serve. Sure. Uh, Jenny and, and Nicholas, how about, how about yourselves? Could you give us a, a little bit of background as to, uh, to why you're both so you know, passionate about this area? Jenny, let's, let's come to you first. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, it's, it's similar to what Sean's just said. To be honest, it's just a matter of fairness. Um, for me, I don't really believe that um, it's fair that everyone doesn't have the same opportunity um, to get on in life. Um, and just because of where you've been born or indeed what your parents did as a job, that that can dictate actually where you might actually end up in terms of profession um, outcomes um, of life but I also think business is really waking up to the opportunities there are so talent is spread evenly across the country we know that um, and business are really taking note of the fact that if they want to have competitive advantage if they want to be sustainable as business then there's a wealth of talent out there that we're really not tapping into so there's a real business case as well too. And Nicholas? So very similar to what you've just been hearing from Sean and Jenny in terms of why it matters, why it's important. For me, I guess it's always been in my subconscious, really, as well, because also born into a working-class farming community in northeast Lincolnshire, first go to university, didn't know anybody in the law, just wanted to do something different from what everybody else was doing, wasn't really conscious about social mobility, and really didn't focus upon it until I guess I was in a management leadership position, and then you have the opportunity to think more broadly in the way that we've been hearing about what works best for business and what is just right and fair. And you're in a position to try and make a difference. And and I guess specifically, I think back to a conversation we were having at Hogan Lovells when we were uh, looking to do more to increase BAME representation in the law profession. And we'd made some good progress and we had a meeting with a Sutton Trust and they were going to be helping us with this. And then just kind of out of nowhere, one of them said, course you do realize that actually it's white working class boys who are most excluded from society and that kind of flicked a switch really because i hadn't really focused upon that and it hadn't really been discussed and as jenny said it's now much more conscious yeah um sean i said at the top of the show it's a year since we discussed this uh topic with your social mobility champion predecessor uh matthew coates cb um at that time matthew was launching the moj social mobility action plan what's been achieved in these past 12 months since I spoke to him. Okay, so um, we were really committed at the time when Matthew set the plan that it should be more than just uh, words on a page. We had to translate that into uh, action. And looking at the seven pillars that the plan was built upon, um, I can give some real specific hard examples of what we'd um, done. So one of the areas was to raise uh, awareness within, uh, within young people in the communities and we have uh, had an active schools outreach program. Um, from a slow start over a, uh, over a year ago, we've now engaged with 30,000 uh, pupils. Uh, we've got over 700 volunteers across the Ministry of Justice. And that's more than just raising awareness with uh, pupils within the, within the schools. It's helping them see uh, the opportunities that are available for them across the civil service. And it's in more depth. So we do help people with CV writing. We help people to prepare for uh, interviews. But then thinking about the uh, the schools programme, uh, it, it was, was what's the next step? So that's okay of itself, but the next element was step into justice. So we've engineered and built a work experience programme where we've had over 200 pupils now through a structured work experience programme uh, within, the, within the Ministry of Justice. Another element and another uh, limb to the work that we've done is uh, the sort of the in-reach work, so progression. How do people get on when they get in? Uh, and we developed a catapult mentoring scheme 
and we've had over 250 people now through that. And it's more in-depth than just mentoring. It's sponsorship and it's helping people to uh, realise that they've got something to give and to help them in the way that I was helped, to let them raise their head up and look to see what's available. And it's the most rewarding experience. I've actually participated as a mentor uh, with a a guy from uh, Bradford. And that was just an incredibly rewarding experience to see how he grew, but also to get some feedback from him about what he uh, he wanted from, uh, from me. The other element was to look at what the barriers were. We had to uh, identify what the data was telling us. So we've surveyed all the staff across uh, the Ministry of Justice. So we're building the uh, the database to uh, help inform uh, whether or not what we're doing is achieving uh, the right outcomes. We've also taken it a step further. So we put a social mobility requirement into the contracting process with suppliers. So they have to say what they're doing uh, to uh, advance uh, social mobility in their workplace and in the services that they uh, provide for us. And within the legal aid agency, we're very much leading uh, the way in terms of strength-based recruitment. We want to move away from competence-based recruitment and we're probably at the cutting edge of work that's being done across government anyway to look at uh, success yeah. profiles. And then the other area is internal and external advocacy. Uh, so we have been uh, really occupying the thought leadership space with regard to social mobility. And it was great to be recognised in the employer index to be placed as the third organisation out of uh, out of 100 um, but, you know, credit to uh, KPMG who came uh, first and to uh, Jenny for uh, the work that she's done. Um, but that has given us the opportunity to help to influence others. And I'm really pleased to say that in Bernadette Kelly, the permanent secretary champion, we've got a great advocate for social mobility across government. Right. Just picking up on one of the things you, you mentioned there about um, ensuring suppliers are, are doing their bit as well. Do you think that's something be interested to actually get all your opinions on this, whether or not lots of organisations are going to start implementing that in their um, you know, procurement um, plans? I, I think if, if you are looking to achieve the best outcomes and actually have organisations that are effective uh, or sustainable, then I do think you have to have a diverse and inclusive uh, workforce that avoids uh, any uh, groupthink scenario and you have people from different backgrounds with different skills uh, being able to uh, to contribute. Yeah, Nicholas. Just uh, coming in on that, from the perspective of the legal profession, I think not necessarily so much on social mobility yet, but certainly in relation to gender diversity. One of the factors that has helped the momentum is clients of law firms saying, what are you doing about diversity and inclusion? And it's the same principle when your customers, when your clients are asking you the question and they really want to know the answer and they're not going to be happy if you give them a bad answer, then it just tips the needle a little bit. Yeah, I would just yeah, I would echo what's been said. Um, both our clients and our suppliers are um, increasingly demanding um, more what we are doing on on the area of social mobility. At KPMG, we've had a long-standing sustainable procurement program, which has three pillars. One of which is social mobility. Um, so social mobility, diversity, more broadly as well, um, and the environment. Um, and we ask our sort of top suppliers sitting on that program what actions they're taking in the area of social mobility. It's part of our. Um, uh, 
request for proposal documents people need to sort of document that but actually we also go further and have sort of sessions with them and talk to them around kind of the live issues of the day so apprenticeships we've had forums on that and we've had a data session with our suppliers so um, Nick Miller from the bridge group came and presented to them and we've also talked to them about the social mobility employer index had a David Johnson come in and talk to them so just you know all learning from one another because um, without sharing that best practice we can't all move forward. And I, I think building on Jenny's point, I think there is a, um, a real push in terms of apprenticeships. Uh, there's a government target to say that 2.3% of the workforce willing be involved and engaged on apprenticeship programmes. But I believe that the moral case is really strong, that you have to ensure that you develop uh, talent and you enable and create an environment that enables people to realise the potential and to be the best that they can be. Um, Jenny, part of the reason uh, we've got you here um, <laughs> is that KPMG are very involved in, in government initiatives on social mobility. Can you give us a little bit of background as to what that involves for your organisation? Yeah, so um, I guess, I mean, KPMG has been committed to the issue of social mobility for, for over a decade. It started with the work on the living wage and our education outreach. But back in 2011, um, under the Deputy Prime Minister, Sir Nick Clegg, um, there was an invitation to join something called the Social Mobility Business Compact. Um, he is now chair of the Social Mobility Foundation. I should um, obviously acknowledge his new role as well there um, and organisations were asked to pledge to three different um, areas of work so around work experience um, recruitment and also um, around sort of new I suppose pipeline programmes so apprenticeships and things um, and there were some good um, sessions happening um, but the opportunity came back in 2014 for organisations to put themselves forward to become um, a social mobility business compact champion or a social mobility champion as we tried to call it because it was quite a mouthful to say otherwise and several organisations put themselves forward it was about an 18-month process so back in 2014 to early 2016 we went through some very rigorous criteria and um, with government and um, set a series of commitments around kind of outreach through to work placements through to kind of what we were doing in recruitment and pleased to say KPMG was one of the 11 organizations that um, became a champion and I think that was the start possibly of our relationship with um, much well our closer relationship with government on the issue of social mobility since then I've worked closely with cabinet office on their uh, socioeconomic background measures I'll talk a little bit further maybe later on around how we've been measuring um, socioeconomic background within our organisation. We also run something called the Reimagine Challenge and we did um, one specifically on social mobility with, with government um, and through that I got to meet lots of colleagues across all different government departments who are doing a huge amount of work on social mobility and there's the, the cross-governmental network. Um, so yeah it's been a, it's been a really great um, opportunity for me to talk to other organisations because all the government departments are so different like the Ministry of Justice um, and their great plan that they've got um, working on this um, but yeah sharing I guess a different perspective from a corporate environment too. Great and and uh, Nicholas how has um, making the leaps year been since we last spoke to uh, Tundi but also given you know th- there's clearly a need for charities uh, li- like that particular one what, what, what's the viewpoint from civil society on how much the public and private sector are doing in, in this space? Okay so starting with making the leap as you'd expect me to say it's been a good year and we've been working with a number of clients who are very, very committed to this agenda, and obviously the Ministry is one of those. And let me take this opportunity to say that everything we've heard and everything that they're doing is absolutely fantastic, and it's it's real role model stuff. So full marks and commendations to them for all of that. And, you know, it's a, it's a difficult climate for charities right now. You know, making the leap um, is a charity. It has to be funded, and we work with organisations, and the more we can do, the better. Um, but ultimately, if any of your listeners are thinking, what can I do to make a difference, then, you know, we're a charity out there, so you know where to come. Um, 
We just had uh, the second Social Mobility Awards, uh, huge success. Uh, the quality of entries there, absolutely fantastic. And one of the reasons that we set that up, and thanks to all our various partners and sponsors for supporting us on that, one of the reasons is to raise the profile, to just get it more on the agenda of businesses, as you were saying, of the private sector. And that is happening, um, but it's a slow process. And I think, frankly, one of the reasons for that is social mobility is a little bit of the hidden agenda. Mm. And as we know from everything we read in the press, business at large, in many cases, is still only just getting to terms with gender equality. Um, And, you know, ethnicity is still an issue and a problem in in a number of areas. So social mobility for a lot of organisations, I think, tends to be the thing that you come to when you think you're starting to get on top of the other issues. Yeah. Recognising that there's still work to be done on all of those. So I think that the raising of the profile, these kind of podcasts are absolutely critical. And and the public sector can clearly lead and in many respects is leading. Uh, We've spoken about the ministry. um, We've heard about some of the initiatives that uh, government have been taking. You know, the prime minister was very, very clear when she took up office that social mobility was high on her agenda. And, you know, clearly we can't get through a podcast, I suppose, without mentioning Brexit. But, you know, that's inevitably... um, been a high priority it's something that has meant that some of the attraction and the attention of the social mobility agenda has has been dissipated but you know there are individuals who are definitely committed to this in the public sector who are trying to make a difference you know Damon Hines has already made his mark and Justin Greening who set up the social mobility pledge and is trying to get businesses across a number of different sectors to work together Mm. to try and, as Jenny was saying earlier, share best practice because we can achieve so much more by collaborating. Sean, I don't want to linger on it too long then, but uh, has Brexit had any impact on on the work you're doing, you know, in Uh, terms of social mobility? Not in terms of uh, social mobility. In fact, if anything, it has created additional opportunities. So when we look at where people who have come in on the fast stream uh, where they're being deployed when you're looking at the skills required to help departments navigate through uh, the policy issues that are required and some of the operational issues that will fall out uh, from Brexit, then I I think there has been real opportunities for people to develop their skills and to uh, realise potential as a result of that process. I would also say, though, there is a real uh, energy and enthusiasm behind social mobility, and I haven't seen uh, that dissipate as a consequence of what's been happening uh, across the wider um, UK. We've got 30 regional, effectively, nexuses in terms of uh, work that's being uh, done, but the northern nexus is really starting to push ahead with the social mobility agenda within the regions and I think that's a real positive step. Great. Jenny, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, whilst um, I suppose Brexit has provided opportunity, um, within our organisation we've um, we've also talked quite openly around how it's shone a light on the social divisions within our country and the fact that actually there is disparity regionally um, and there is, I guess, a number of people feeling that they're not getting the opportunity that they deserve. Um, So it really allowed us to um, provide a bit more focus and talk openly within our organisation as to why the UK needs to focus much more on this issue, you know, that there's an economic imperative that we really um, make sure that everyone thrives in the best way possible. Um, so I guess just that lens as well, has uh, that backdrop has also um, sort of pushed us to, to drive more action too. I think that's a really good point about shining a light, because I think one of the distinguishing features about social mobility 
is it's not always obvious. In fact, very often it's hidden. So when people are looking for role models who have succeeded from similar experiences and similar backgrounds, they don't really know where to look. If you're looking for a highly successful woman, you can find one. If you're looking for a highly successful black or Asian man, you can find one. If you're looking for somebody who's came from, come from the same background as you, who had the same challenges, they could be standing next to you. But you don't actually realise it because social mobility is not something that's often discussed. Uh, I was having a conversation with a, a trainee in the legal profession recently and she said that she was very much welcomed by her new team and the partner in charge of the team said, just by way of an opening conversation, so which university did you go to? She came up with an answer. It was exactly the same university as he'd gone to, so they then started talking about experiences at university. He had no idea that actually her background was fundamentally different to his and the challenges that she had gone through to get to university and the actual different experiences she'd had in that social environment in university were poles apart mm. and they never had that conversation. So, and, and, and building on uh, Nicholas's point, uh, that's where I think it's uh, so important for the work that's being done to share our stories, to share people's stories so that they can see that, for example, if I can get to where I am now, anybody can. Well, on that note, it's uh, probably a good time to hear from a few people who have benefited uh, from the various social mobility initiatives put in place uh, by the Ministry of Justice. Um, so let's have a listen to that now. My name is Jay Connolly and I'm originally from Liverpool. I am on a couple of different Ministry of Justice social mobility initiatives, which are the Catapult Mentoring Scheme, I am part of the MOJ Schools Programme, and I was originally brought into the organisation via the Cabinet Officers Fast Track Apprenticeship Scheme as well. This opportunity means everything to me. Working as a project manager in the MOJ social mobility team really tests me, pushes me, but having good leaders and colleagues around me allows me to be myself and to learn as much as I possibly can, which is essential at my age. My name is Alia and in the UK I go to London for school. I've benefited from one of the Ministry of Justice social mobility initiatives by what it has offered me and what I can take into the future. We focused on how we could attract people our own age to go join the Ministry of Justice. We produced a video of the people that are in the apprenticeship right now and um, I would say it's something that I'm very proud of and um, a learning experience that I know will help, will help benefit me in the future. My name is Usman Ali. I'm from Bradford. I was born and bred in Yorkshire. And the Ministry of Justice Social Mobility Initiative has really been a catapult for me. Um, the support I've received from the programme, the support and confidence I've received from the mentor, and the invulnerable advice I've received, it's really helped me broaden my horizons. And just realising the civil service values, Working in an office, I was mainly restricted or confined to a set of values based on a micro-environment. But being part of this initiative has shown me that we are part of a larger family and we're connected to a larger picture I, and made me aware of opportunities available. And most importantly, I think I received many friends from this initiative and programme. We had quite a big group of seven people, but I was the only girl in that group. So it kind of meant that I was often pushed aside. So the people there uh, encouraged me uh, to step up and not to take a back seat. And from that, the skill that I gained was confidence because I knew that I couldn't allow um, everyone else to do the work for me um, because we wouldn't um, achieve the best possible end product. This opportunity has broadened my horizons. This gave me increase in self-confidence. 
my friends, my colleagues, my family have noticed that my confidence has came back. I feel comfortable in being myself now, which I was not before. I felt I had to conform to a certain characteristic or conform to a certain way of thinking or talking. What I think this opportunity means to me is that I get first-hand experience in being in the real world. The fact that I worked in a law firm for a duration of 12 weeks every Wednesday, it gave me real-world insight. And because of being in this placement, I've decided that in A-level, I would like to take government and politics. What I thought it would be like before I started my placement, if I'm going to speak honestly and truthfully, um, I thought that would be... <laughs> grey buildings, grey-brown buildings and people looking into their computers, looking dreary. But um, that is completely the opposite of what I saw. I saw a great work ethic, people talking to each other. Um, the advice I'd give to someone who's in my footsteps a few years ago um, would be I tell them not to put any sort of limit and belief on themselves. I think it's important to think outside the box when it comes to planning your career too. I think also networking is essential, especially at a younger age. Speak to as many people and learn as much as you can while you can. The advice I would give to other young people looking to gain similar skills that I've obtained through the Ministry of Justice Initiative is to take advantage of the fact that you are there and you're given this opportunity um, that not a lot of people get and try to gain a lot of knowledge while being there. So Jenny, before uh, that clip, we heard about KPMG doing quite well in the Social Mobility Foundation Employer Index. Of course, uh, your organisation was ranked number one in that list. Can you just talk about KPMG's approach to social mobility and why you think you came top in that index? Yeah, firstly, I'll just say we're obviously delighted of course. <laughs> um, having um, got the top spot. But um, there's, well, as we've heard already, there's um, there's a huge amount of effort across the wider business community um, to address this um, this issue um, more in a more considered fashion. So I guess it probably doesn't surprise you as a bunch of accountants. We love data at KPMG. Um, so back in 2014, we started to measure the socioeconomic background of our workforce um, using sort of a series of measures, but um, parental occupation being the one that we we use most consistently now um, and as cabinet office came out earlier in the year to say that's the um, the best measure to use because unfortunately within the UK um, what your parents did at the age of when you were 14 um, is really one of the biggest indicators of where you'll end up in life so a slightly depressing fact but um, very much still true so at KPMG we've used that data to really help us understand what's the makeup of our organisation um, actually are the interventions that we've introduced having an impact and we've started to see that they are so um, particularly our school leaver population We've gone from 12% to 18% being eligible for free school meals. Um, we've had a much more targeted approach in terms of our outreach activity. We developed an algorithm with the Bridge Group looking at a series of sort of deprivation statistics, making sure that the schools that we were developing those long-term sustainable relationships were with were the ones that really needed it most and, and had that pool of talent that um, maybe organisations were potentially missing um, but I think Sean mentioned earlier progression as well and whilst we've changed pathways and we've looked at those entry level recruitment um, stages it's also really important to think about the culture of your organisation and actually who's then getting on so using the data we now have on our workforce we've been able to do some really interesting analysis looking at who's staying who's being promoted how long is it taking for colleagues to be promoted um, actually what what's going on within your own organisation who's being parachuted in as a, um, as a lateral hire for example 
people, is that improving your socioeconomic diversity or not? And so I think at the heart of it is being able to use that robust data to tell a story, as well as the sort of qualitative conversations you might have with colleagues. Mm. Um, and lastly, I suppose that advocacy point that was mentioned earlier too, um, none of this can be done alone. Um, we spend a lot of time working with experts in the field, working with other organisations like the ones here today, to really understand the challenges and, and the opportunities that we've all found to, sh to share that best practice. So a lot more still to come from KPMG, um, hopefully even in the next few weeks. But um, I'm really pleased with the, the progress we've made, but know that there's still more to do. Fantastic. Um, Nicholas, what about in the uh, in the legal profession? You know, what are the results that you're seeing through, through the work that um, Primer is doing? So I think my headline is that I'm very proud of what the legal profession has done. And I think in many respects it was ahead of the game. So first of all, congratulations to Jenny and KPMG um, for hitting that number one spot. Um, my own firm, Hogan Lovells, was in the top 50 and I think disproportionately large number of law firms and members of Prime are in that top 50. So that speaks very powerfully to what is happening. But there's no question that there's, there's more to be done. You know, the statistics uh, are very, very clear on that. The most recent Social Mobility and Child Poverty Commission report found 71% of senior judges went to independent schools. Now, that just should not be the case. Mm. Cannot be right. 65% um, of people believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and 75% of people think that family background influences life chances in Britain. Actually, they may well be right, many of them. Um, the point is, they shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be happening like that. And what we're collectively trying to do is level the playing field. And one thing that is really, really important to this entire debate and conversation is that one thing we are not doing is looking to lower standards. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's an enormous pool of talent, as we have heard from uh, the other contributors to this conversation already. And what we're doing is trying to achieve the means by which they can have access to opportunities, because if you give them opportunities, then they can succeed. And frankly, some of the people who have had to face the kind of challenges we've been hearing about have got extraordinary resilience. So one of the things that the legal profession and Prime have been doing is uh, focusing upon how you get away from certain educational standards in a very binary sense, so that you can only get into the profession at all if you have got three A's and a two one. Um, because actually, if you look at something like contextual recruitment, which Prime has offered to all of its members, what we're doing there is looking at their educational performance in the context of their social background and the educational institution that they went to. So if you get three A's from a school where everybody get three A's, you could be amazing. You could just have astonishing support and be reasonably good, but not amazing. If you actually get a B and two C's from a school where it averages two D's and an E, then you probably are amazing. Yeah, yeah. And what you then need is somebody to open a door for you. And once that door is opened, then you will just storm straight through it. So, you know, there are still a lot of things that we're doing. We've done much better as a profession in, in bringing people with social mobility backgrounds, so to speak, uh, into the profession. The challenge now is making sure they stay. And um, Hogan Lovells and, and seven other law firms really recently commissioned a report from uh, the Bridge Group, who we've already heard about, who are doing great work in, in this field. And that was about retention. And with the best will in the world, there are still some challenges because of the culture. And it's not that the culture is bad or the culture is negative or the culture is not welcoming. It's very welcoming. But how do you judge success? And increasingly in the legal profession, it's, you know, can you win new business? Not are you just a brilliant lawyer? You know, can you add to the overall business? 
can you win new business? How do you go about winning new business? Well, partly it's just being very comfortable in social surroundings. Um, what does that mean? You know, does that mean contributing to a conversation where people are talking about what they did at the weekend and somebody went sailing? You know, you've never been anywhere near a yacht. What are you going to say when somebody then says to you, so what did you do this weekend? It's, and that's just making people feel that they can be themselves and be very comfortable and not alienated. And also, I think, not making them feel that they have to change in order to fit. So this kind of thing doesn't happen overnight and you can't just flick switches. If it was easy, I would think we'd all have done it a long time ago. But um, definitely a work in progress, but pleased with what the profession is doing so far. Um, and, and building on uh, what Nicholas has said, I, I believe as leaders we've got a real responsibility to uh, challenge ourselves, uh, to challenge each other and to learn from uh, others and from uh, the and use the evidence base to help affect uh, a change. And I believe by working together collaboratively and collectively and building partnerships, uh, we can really make a difference. Um, when, when I reflect back, as, uh, as Nicholas has, has just sort of pointed out, about uh, having those uh, exclusive rather than inclusive conversations, and when I was appointed as area director in Merseyside, I remember how I felt. And people around me were talking about, uh, all of the uh, legal advisors within the courts were talking about their times in university. And I felt excluded because I didn't have the same experience of them. And to be honest, at the time, I felt like a bit of an imposter uh, in that role. And I think by sharing that emotion and remembering how it felt for me, then that really sort of should bring us up short and really make us more aware of those instances where the culture within an organisation may be exclusive rather than inclusive. And as leaders, we have a responsibility to ensure that we create the environment and the fabric and the architecture that enables people to give of their best. Well, Sean, sticking with you for a second, how are you working with um, other government departments to promote you know, this agenda? Okay, so um, I, it, it's incumbent upon me to uh, advocate for social mobility across government, uh, but we have a really effective uh, leader in Bernadette Kelly who is absolutely passionate about advancing uh, social mobility and has a programme board at which uh, we all contribute uh, to and we all learn from uh, each other and you can see uh, the progress that's been made across uh, other government departments and we do that by working and sharing our experiences but there is also not just working across government there's a responsibility on us to uh, work with uh, other sectors so we're working with the EY Foundation in Bradford and picking up on uh, the point that Nicholas made, in terms of intersectionality, there was the most diverse group of uh, young people who were being uh, on this programme and we're going to, and we have been, supporting them through uh, their journey to make them and help them uh, find a way into uh, into employment. And we're also working with uh, Middlesex University and we've uh, offered eight-week uh, work placements and working with and learning from both the private, public and voluntary sectors, I believe we can establish a community of practice and we can uh, advance uh, social mobility, not just for 
the benefit of uh, the Ministry of Justice, but for the benefit of society as a whole. Okay, and uh, what about other organisations and professions, you know, in terms of what they're doing and what we can learn from each of them? Jenny, Any anything that you've seen out there? Yeah, well, I guess my first point is just that the scale of the challenges is such that actually without working collectively, none of us will be able to um, to achieve the progress or the change that we're all looking for. So um, across the accountancy profession, we've developed an initiative called Access Accountancy. It followed in the footsteps of Prime, developed by the legal profession. Um, and back in 2014, we set a series of commitments through to 2019 as to what we collectively wanted to do. Um, so with over 25 signatories, we've committed to share um, data on the applicants and hires coming into our organisations and for the last two years have used the Bridge Group to, to look into that data more closely to understand the challenges we might all be facing, but also the opportunities we've seen and then and, and sharing that best practice. Um, and we've developed sort of a series of work experience programmes to um, to support young people across our area and, and raise awareness in some of the social mobility cold spots. Um, but we also work with organisations at KPMG, um, clearly that... Um, have the expertise so looking at um, charities like the Social Mobility Foundation they came up with this great initiative called One Plus One so we all know that work experience is one of those things that if you have the right connections you might be able to get in but what if you don't have those connections or you don't know someone who's in a profession like um, like the professional services or accountancy um, so One Plus One is, is effectively saying well if you're going to take someone that's a friend or a, a client contact you should also give that opportunity to someone who doesn't have that so we've been running that for, for two years now and have been rolling it out nationally um, but Across Access County, across things like the Living Wage, um, kind of Steering Council, there's a whole series of, um, of organisations from di- different sectors. So I think it's important to learn what we can across our own challenges within within our own sector, but also hear from others, because actually that's where you get the innovation, that's where you get the new ideas. And of course, a little bit of healthy competition doesn't go um, too far either. <laughs> of course. Nicholas? Again, totally agree. And, you know, to that healthy competition point, you know, the lawyers are amongst the most competitive of all breeds, I suspect. But, you know, the fact that they come together and collaborate is the thing that's actually making the difference. And it's partly it's the competition. You know, somebody does this and you think that was really impressive. What can we do? Um, But the collaboration is key. And I think the other thing about social mobility is that it encompasses all forms of diversity and inclusion. So social mobility is not blind to gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation because everybody from whatever background is potentially in any of those categories. So we often find ourselves working with other organisations which may be focused, for example, on BAME. And that's a really, really effective way of learning from each other and and being really fully aware of the issues that that are affecting different parts of our society, as we heard earlier it's you know it's an increasingly fractured society in many ways so collaboration is one of the things that we can do to try and heal those fractures and in the legal profession prime have initiated a conversation amongst a number of other organizations that are focused not just on legal profession but who are very much committed to social mobility but work with lots of other sectors so that we can learn from that experience as well people like career ready seo um, rare and so I think that's really important. And then to touch upon something that uh, Jenny mentioned earlier in terms of what we can learn. You know, she spoke about uh, data collection at accountants. Well, you won't be surprised being a bunch of lawyers. We kind of forgot about that when we started out on this journey. Um, And, you know, you need to have the data. You can be doing all of these good things, but people need to know that it's impactful and it's making a difference. And good stories, individual anecdotes are helpful. But actually, if you can work the data and show that it's making a difference... 
fantastic, because you'll carry on doing it and you'll do it better. Actually, if the data shows that they are great initiatives, but actually it's not really working, then you need that information in order to change. So we're definitely already talking to Jenny and uh, and the Bridge Group and Access Accountancy generally about what we can learn from their experience, right. and that has to benefit us all. And, w- and what about people in similar roles to yours, Jenny, um, you know, or you know, where companies that have a head of social mobility or a social mobility champion? Are we going to see more of that now? I really hope so. Um, as I think we've been hearing quite a lot, you know, business are really waking up to the um, the opportunity that um, that's presented by all of this talent across the country. Um, I was head of social mobility for several years at KPMG. I'm now co-head of inclusion, diversity and social equality, as you said earlier. And I guess at KPMG, we've acknowledged the natural evolution of social mobility as a core form of, of inclusion, diversity and, and in the intersectionality that Sean referenced earlier. You know, there is a there is a huge relationship in, in a lot of these areas of diversity. So um, I know there are others, he- other heads of social mobility um, around there, but whatever the title, frankly, if, if the, the organisation is committed to this issue and they really want to make a difference, then you do need that concerted effort um, from leadership all the way, you know, bottom down um, as well to make sure that we're all committed and, and making the change that's needed. And, and from the Ministry of Justice's uh, perspective, I mean, this all started with uh, with Matthew Coates in terms of him saying, look, if we were really serious about this and use the uh, action plan as a basis upon looking at a proper change programme, uh, that then provided the catalyst. And I think you do have to have uh, that leadership in place. It's there. Uh, people do have a passion for it, but they also see the real opportunities that it can can be made to make organisations more effective if they are uh, more inclusive, if you've got a, a more diverse uh, workforce that's helping to inform the decisions, that's looking at problems from different angles and different perspectives and bringing that all to focus to try and identify what solutions are, then there is a real business imperative as to why this is important as well as the moral case that I believe that we do uh, as leaders within a civil society have to create the environment that does enable people to give of their best and does recognise that we have to recruit based on uh, potential rather than just polish. You've wrapped this up perfectly for me because I was actually going to ask you what, what message you wanted to deliver um, off the end of this podcast but I think you've uh, you've done that quite quite nicely there so what, what I just wanted to um, ask you Sean was if listeners want to find out any more information uh, from you on the social mobility action plan where's the best place for them to so go? best place to go is on the gov.uk uh, website type in social mobility action plan into the uh, the search engine and just take it from there Fantastic. Uh, Jenny Baskerville, Nicholas Cheffings and uh, Sean McNally, uh, CBE, thank you all for joining the show. We'd actually love to hear your thoughts on this topic or comments on uh, what your organisations are doing in terms of social mobility or indeed any ideas you may want to share. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, uh, you can do that on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages or on our Twitter feed. Those are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic 
downloads for each episode via the likes of SoundCloud or iTunes. And as I always ask, if uh, you do use iTunes, then please do give us a positive rating and review as that helps us up the business charts and it means more people to get to hear about this important discussion. Um, just a reminder again then, um, so as Sean just mentioned, if you want to uh, find out more information from the Ministry of Justice on their Social Mobility Action Plan, the easiest way uh, to do that is to go to gov.uk, uh, search for Social Mobility Action Plan. It should be at uh, the top link in your results. Uh, finally, if you would like to get in touch with the show, uh, you can do that via our contact form at cswickpodcast.com or um, you can also reach me via Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.